This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. On January 7, 2008, Think Radio and Music Radio were born. On that day, a new-to-us producer, Ezra Wall, began producing three brand-new local shows, Money Talks, Creature Comforts, and Relatively Speaking. By the way, all three still on the air. MPB's The Gestalt Gardener and Southern Remedy were already on the schedule. Ezra, who's now the managing editor of MPB News, will join us this morning. We'll talk about the creation of the show, reflect on how the economy has changed in the past 10 years, and of course, like we have every Tuesday morning for the past 10 years, we'll take your personal finance questions. So give us a call this morning to join the conversation. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email the show money at mpbonline.org. So good morning to everyone. Hope that uh, you're doing well, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Kevin. Uh, any exciting uh, tales from the holiday season, Nancy, uh, Ezra, Ryder? Uh, uh, well, you know, I'm dragging because I was up late watching that great ball game. Yeah. And uh, I, I confess we were pulling for Georgia. Um, I know there are a lot of Alabama mm. fans out there. <laughs> but um, But it was exciting. It was an exciting game, yes. I, I wasn't paying too much attention right before bed. I thought, well, I'll just check in on the game, and I, I got pulled in, and it was very exciting. And uh, certainly the uh, Georgia-Oklahoma game, uh, the Rose Bowl, was an exciting game as well. So lots of uh, football for the uh, for the holiday season. Uh, just the NFL playoffs yet to go. Uh, and then it's uh, basketball season for all the sports fans out there. So um, <clears throat> uh, any, I mean, big Things actually, though I heard that uh, the uh, in terms of retail that this uh, holiday season w- was good. Yeah, we gained about five percent, uh, but it's really strange when you look deeper into the story because you see some big winners and you still see some big losers. We had fifty big retailers who declared bankruptcy last year. That's a lot, and so in the midst of this improvement in consumer spending and confidence and improvement in retail overall, we're having this huge shift in how we shop. And so we're seeing the growth of e-commerce. Um, we're seeing Amazon is really just the gorilla in the room there with all of this. But Walmart is keeping pace, not only maintaining their stores, but also competing online. So all of that is changing, which means it makes it very difficult for small mom-and-pop retailers to survive. And the way they can do it, I still say, is through service. Very good. Um, We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. We'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary today on Money Talks. But if you have a personal finance question or if you'd like to share maybe an experience you had with us, what you think of the show, please be kind. It's 1-877-MPB-RING. The phone number, 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. We'll jump into uh, talking about the origins of the show in just a minute. But, Nancy, I have, I guess, kind of a, a personal finance-related question. Over the holiday, I reconnected with a friend of mine who lives in England. Uh, you know, obviously via uh, Skype we were chatting. Uh, and he mentioned that he's heavily invested in uh, Bitcoin. Uh, like oh, no. Hundreds, <laughs> oh, no. Hundreds of thousands of pounds. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. And you know it has fallen dramatically since that big run-up. 
But my question is, obviously, you can't go to Kroger and buy a steak with Bitcoin. So is it? Well, mm-hmm. not yet. I, we are going to reach a point where we have some type of global digital currency. Um, not sure which one's going to survive, but we're still doing things the old way where, you know, and and some um, retailers are taking Bitcoin. Hmm. Um, some educational institutions are taking Bitcoin. So we're going to see that change. But be careful in that area. But at this point, it's, it, I guess, would be like a stock in that you're, you invest in it and then hope to possibly sell it when it's more valuable, that sort of thing? Yeah. It's, it, you, know, you, you hope it runs up in value, and it did there for a while. And, uh, Ryder, how much has it pulled back? Um, I'm not sure where it is right now, but it got around like 20000 or you know, close to there. I thought and, I saw it was down to thirteen. Probably back in 13 or 12 range. Yeah. But it's very we, – you know, we can look that up real we quick. We can look it up. So um, I have a question about Bitcoin. So if, if that's um, – if if people get that like an institution gets a donation in Bitcoin or something like that, aside from just the volatility of the whole thing, it, it, have people had trouble liquidating that or turning it into something useful? Um, I, I don't know. Have they? So how? So Bitcoin one Bitcoin is currently worth sixteen thousand two hundred seventy two to up two hundred ninety dollars and twenty seven U S dollars. And if I stare at that long enough, it will change again. <laughs> um, so what? A, a lot of the places that are accepting Bitcoin, either donate or um, or as for a transaction, they're using a third-party processor. Like, you know, you have to use a third-party process for credit cards or, you know, even PayPal donations or whatever. Um, but that third-party processor will do the work of immediately converting it into cash because – I mean, again, I, I saw a friend who has a who has a nonprofit. I saw on their website that they're accepting Bitcoin, and I am quite confident she is not sitting over there like printing out keys to Bitcoin <laughs> over there. I'm pretty sure she's having that converted and deposited into a bank account immediately, which so that she doesn't you, have to deal with it. Yeah, which right. tells you that we're not at the point right. of full fluidity with this uh, currency. Right, because Bitcoin isn't. I mean, that shows you it's not actually really what you're transacting with. It's really just like you're putting your dollars in a box and giving that box to somebody who takes them and out then you, in you just a out. different way that we've, than we've done before. Um, but, you know, like you said, there's, I mean, there's hundreds of cryptocurrencies, as they're called, out there. Uh, they all have kind of you know, different features or different jokes behind them. Um, one thing I've heard about Bitcoin in particular being used for transactions, it's just it's just very slow transactions. It was not designed for um, for quick transactions like that. Um, but there are several that kind of are approaching that. And so there's a, there's still a lot of development there. There's still a lot of a lot of room for other others to grow and and tackle those problems of can you use it to trade? Can you use it for your bank account, etc. Uh, what is mining Bitcoin? Is that just trying to? That's the process of uh, making it. So uh, essentially, um, it's computers work on very difficult math problems, and when they solve them, they are rewarded with Bitcoin. So that's kind of. And this isn't going to be exactly right. And if you and if you love Bitcoin and are obsessed with Bitcoin, please don't call in and correct me. I don't really want to hear it right now. But um, <laughs> essentially, oh, there goes essentially, again. there are you know you have a computer that sits there and tackles this and difficult math problem, and the, all these computers are networked, and 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 when it it solves like sci-fi, doesn't it? When it <laughs> solves the math problem, then it gets 
kind of rewarded kind of by itself, kind of the community of computers working on this problem are like, yeah, good job. We're going to say you have 10 more tokens. And so it, they generate these tokens and that's the Bitcoin. And now then they can start, like video game. then you can start <laughs> trading. These tokens are just these electronic series of, you know, at the end of the day, ones and zeros. Um, and you can trade those, and you can break them up and put them on another computer, another computer. And so the moment they started getting value is when people started trading them for U.S. dollars. Because if you just traded a Bitcoin for a Bitcoin all day, it'd still just be worth one Bitcoin. But once someone started trading it for dollars, we were like, oh, now it's worth a dollar. Now it's worth $16,255 and, ooh, dang. Uh, $16,259.52 U.S. dollars. Okay. Well, that makes sense because as I was chatting with him, he mentioned the cost of electricity in Mm -hmm. England and actually was considering moving to China because the electricity was cheaper there. And so I didn't understand that, but obviously it's the computing power. Well, if we need to have a Bitcoin episode, we can have him on maybe. Yeah, the question is – I mean he might be the guy. In China. Uh, the other interesting, one final thing on Bitcoin, I remember when it first came out, uh, some guy on the news had gotten one of their certificates or whatever, and he flashed it, and then Someone people were it. able to freeze the frame and, yeah. and yeah, get the key, and he learned that that was not a good thing to do. Whoops. Right. <laughs> yeah. So as we mentioned, uh, we're visiting today with Ezra Wall, the original producer of Money Talks, who's now the managing editor of MPB News. Ezra, thanks for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about the, the creation of the show. You were hired... Uh, I guess kind of with the understanding that that you would help birth this show. Yeah, it, it, we didn't have this. This was on a long list of programs that we were considering, and we, we already had Southern Remedy, as your intro indicated. We already had the Gestalt Gardener, and the thought was that we had another nationally syndicated uh, radio program that was on the other three days of the week. And uh, the leadership at MPB and Jason Klein, who's still the current radio director, wanted to fill out the rest of the week so that we could have every day a different sort of public service program where people could call and get advice from community experts on things. So, uh, yeah, the list got quickly narrowed. Almost immediately we knew we wanted to have something about personal finance because uh, financial literacy is a big issue in Mississippi. So we wanted uh, to help regular people understand not only that investment isn't something that they have to be afraid of, but also their budget may look unmanageable, but there there is a way that you can correct years of bad habits so that you have more to invest for your future. Um, Nancy has been, a, I think, a real gem, a great fine force. She's been a, a real a source she of is great gem. information oh, over these 10 years. <laughs> but Ezra, do you remember how you came across Nancy? Yes, I do. Sam Wells. <laughs> I got a text from him last night. You did know, you? I did. He was just you That's know, great. noting it was 10 years. And of course, I had to say it's all because of you, Sam. Yes, absolutely. So so the the thing is, I, I um, undoubtedly had met Nancy before, though I don't remember it, because her daughter and I went to college together. Uh, but Sam uh, knew Nancy because because he and Heather went to high school together and had been friends. And he's the one who actually knew that she was an investment professional, a financial professional. Because he'd eaten dinner at my uh, house many <laughs> yes. times. Yes, and seen and you know heard the shop talk and all of that stuff. So uh, so it was uh, Sam who said, "Hey, uh, you're looking for a uh, money person, huh?" So I got this lady, and. Uh, <laughs> Sam kind of talks like that. And so <laughs> Yes, he does. <laughs> so anyway, he put us in touch with Nancy who uh who, who it, over 10 years we've we've learned that she has 
uh, a wide breadth of knowledge uh, covering many subjects. But at the time, we were thinking of her for primarily for investment advice. And then we found Chris Burford, who was on the show for many, many years before his career took him in a different direction. Um, and and we found Chris because uh, Jason Klein was familiar uh, with the credit counseling organization that he worked with at the time. And and we brought Chris in because we thought he would be able to to help us uh, solidify our sort of consumer, uh, bu- you know, budgeting practices, debt reduction, that side of the equation. And, uh, and we liked both of them because although they're both very different from each other, they both sound exactly like Mississippi, Nancy being from the coast and Chris I being know. from the Delta. And do you remember that was one of my worries when I first met with you guys is what about my boys? <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's, that's what we wanted. So <laughs> we got, you know, we got uh, Chris Burford, the Greenville Sunday school teacher and Nancy, the, you know, Delta, you know, whatever you call people for or the, the coastal, the coast, the coastal whatever, you, whatever you call people from the coast. So Nancy, uh, maybe some reflection from you. What, what did you think about uh, when asked to, to be part of the show and, and uh, where do you think it's, it's gone from its origins? Well, I remember being very excited about it because uh, uh, financial literacy has been one of my soapboxes. And so I was really interested in this idea um, but I also remember thinking, okay, um, after a year, we're going to have covered everything we need to cover, <laughs> and we'll be done. We'll wrap it up, you know, and that's it. Um, and here we are 10 years later. Now, we repeat ourselves a lot, but I think that's important to do when you're talking about financial issues because um, people need to hear the same thing over and over and be encouraged. And um, And the fun part has been, I think, being able to really – offer some assistance to people when they call in and uh, we deal with people who are all across the spectrum and uh, so helping them with some basic budget issues and credit issues all the way up to some complicated investment issues and we have learned a lot from our listeners because they call in and they know things and so that's kind of fun too they call and correct us even when Ryder doesn't want them to I know I know <laughs> I know <laughs> And, uh, you know, I get a lot, uh, it's, it's always flattering when someone, I meet someone, they say, oh, I listen to you all the time. And, and um, th- th- there's a special connection for me with this show because this was the first show that I did as a host. I mean, in my career at uh, MPB, I uh, was on air, uh, host for Morning Edition for a number of years, uh, was a reporter for a while, but had switched sort of to kind of an operational point and was behind the scenes for a number of years. And uh, when you have been on the, on the air for, for a number of years, sometimes you're a little bit reluctant to get back on. I was you know, a little kind of nervous about it. But uh, Gene Edwards, who was the host of Money Talks at the time, was for whatever reason out one time, and they asked me to sit in. And so I did. It was Chris Burford and I uh, talked about um, the cre- credit report and budgeting and that kind of thing. Uh, and I did it, and you know, it, it went fairly well. And I thought, hey, this, this is not too bad. And as things turned out um, – I, I've been doing it full-time ever since, so I've always well, enjoyed and, it. and I get questions about you, Kevin. People want to know, okay, because they hear your voice, and they want to know, or Ezra, they hear your voice, and they want to know, well, what does he look like? What is he like in person? So that's kind of interesting. Well, in, in my case, there's a reason I'm on the radio. So. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, many of us have the proverbial uh, voice made for radio, face made for radio, that is. so. And I'll say also, you know, it's benefited me because I, I know that my – Approach to personal finance and budgeting and, and saving and p- 
paying down debt, that sort of thing, uh, has really changed over the years I've done this, that uh, I, I still have room to grow, but I, I, I think that I've grown a lot in terms of being a more responsible manager of my money and, and owe a lot to the uh, many, many weeks on the air that we've talked about different aspects of personal finance. So, Ryder, you are the relatively newest kid on the block, although our producer, Liz Gill, had just started in July. But uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I remember, I think I remember your first show. You seemed a little bit nervous, but I think you, you took to it quite quickly, and I, and, and I think you, you brought an interesting perspective to the show. So what are your thoughts on maybe where the show could go from here? Uh, well, you are right. I was uh, very nervous uh, the first time, um, but once I realized kind of, the the hour is not as intimidating as it seems. Uh, the callers really, you know, they kind of brighten it up in several different ways. And also, if we need something to talk about, someone brings something up and that'll uh, spark well, a new I, conversation. Well, I will have to, to jump in because at first I'm thinking he's not talking. He's not talking. You know, and I know, Ryder, we work together. And, and now... Uh, You're about I, to call the doctor. I really. And now I sometimes kick him under the table going, please stop. You know, he's getting into the weeds. Um, yeah, so no, I, I've, I've enjoyed my, my experience being on here. This is fantastic so far. And again, a shout out to Chris Burford. He was on the show for a number of years and, and, and uh, brought uh, you know a, a good bit to it, a different perspective on things. Again, primarily brought on um, as, sort of as a credit counselor, but had a background in banking. So you know, I think uh, we find out when we do a lot of these shows that you bring a, a, um, a someone on to have a specific uh, area of expertise. But it's interesting how uh, it really can expand when when they get the chance. And he was a good part of the show for a number of years. And, and, and I think that company closed that office here. Is that correct? Yeah. Which is kind of sad to me because we have such a need here. Okay, let's uh, take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about how the economy has changed since 2008. Also, we'll look for your personal finance questions. And if you have any memories of money talks that you'd like to share with us, again, please be kind. Uh, give us a call. The number is one mpb ring The number one 672 Back with more money talks after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. As we do each Tuesday, we're looking for your personal finance questions, but today marks almost the exact anniversary of our 10th year on the air, so we're kind of looking back over the past 10 years, uh, 
kind of a celebration today on Money Talk, celebrating 10 years of providing you uh, financial information to help you uh, manage uh, your personal finance. Again, if you have a question for us this morning or if you'd like to comment on the show, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So let's look back to January of 2018. I imagine the economy uh, quite a bit different from what it looks like uh, today. What uh, I know y'all have both done a little bit of research. What, what did you find out about the things that uh, were like back then? Well, I lived through it and I remember <laughs> it well. And um, the we were in an asset bubble. And an asset bubble is when... Um, the value or, or excuse me the price of something goes up very quickly and that price is often unrelated to the true value of it and so we were seeing that happening in housing and there was concern at that point really starting in summer of 2007 all the way through 2008 people were buying multiple houses uh, crazy things were going on, and people in an asset bubble who get in early and get out early make a lot of money, but those who wait really get pummeled. And so if you think about uh, blowing bubbles as a kid and you try to get it bigger and bigger and bigger, and at some point it pops, and when it does, you have this huge decline in those prices, and that's what we saw in housing. And um, that by itself wasn't the whole story and might have been able to be corrected, except we had this other layer called credit default swaps over that. And that magnified what was happening in the housing market. And so what we saw in 2008, while we started the year, everything was just hunky-dory and we're just doing great. And um, by the end of the year, we'd lost about 40% of value on the stock market and the housing prices in some cases had lost more than that. Yeah. And just to put a little color on the the housing prices i've pulled up a popular housing price index these are very hard to do uh by the way house prices index because location 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 but um this 20 city composite index is often quoted so coming out of the recession in 2002 it increased it, it almost doubled to its peak in 2006 2007 um and then it's kind of moderated, and 2008 was the year it all started falling, and it came down. Um, it came down about 30 percent, and that's overall. So, like you said, there were you know individual pockets where I mean things just the the bottom fell out. I mean, particularly uh, overbuilt places like I believe Las Vegas. Yeah, uh, Reno, what are some other examples of Reno was basically ground zero. I can remember going to Reno in 2009 for a conference, and it was just like a ghost town. And, of course, um, you know, places that at the same time during the recession lost a lot of major employers, a lot of big jobs. Um, of course, we're, we're, we're getting a little ahead of 2008, but in 2008 to 2009, places like uh, Detroit, places in the Rust Belt, where they had lot large um, manufacturers, large employers, but the trend had already been those were moving away, and then the recession just compounded that. So you add you know nationwide houses house price declines uh, plus you know your specific area having economic problems, and and even those uh, you know still a long way to go in some cases. This is Money Talks. We're celebrating 10 years on the air today, talking about uh, how things have changed in the last 10 years in terms of the economy. Also, as we do, look for your personal finance questions. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 
672-7464. We've got Charles from Jackson on the line this morning. Go ahead, Charles. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. I've enjoyed the show for the last 10 years. Thank, Thank you. you. But I have one big question. We just had a 25% year on the stock market. Uh, when do I sell? Oh, wow. Oh, that's a tough question. When do you need the money? Yes, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to say to you that as we talked about asset bubbles earlier, um, there is some talk of possibly seeing that now. Um, But I think what you need to do is stick to your plan. And Charles, how old are you? I'm 62. Well, I'm hoping you have a large dose of bonds in your portfolio. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm all equities. If that's all right, my man, (laughs) Charles, I'm thinking you might want to pull back just a little bit. That doesn't mean you throw everything out as far as the equity side, but you should have a nice bit uh, in fixed income, bonds, cash, uh, probably somewhere. I I do have a little bit, but okay, (laughs) okay, good. So probably somewhere in the thirty to forty percent range, and so yeah. Um, and, of course, that depends on what other income stream you have. So if you're on a pension, that pension represents, uh, you know, it's backed up by fixed income instruments, basically. And um, Yeah, if you've got enough pension coming yeah. to you, yeah, go all in. I, you know, no, that, <laughs> all that's, right, that's a little excessive. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you just need to, as it rises up, and the stock market has done very well this year, then you just start to gradually pull a little bit of that off the table and push it to your fixed income side. And, um, and I, was, I was listening to you talking about 08. I was right in the middle of all that. And, you know, prices outstripped uh, you know, earnings back then. But right now, corporate earnings are holding up pretty well. They are doing well, but they're still outstripping them. Yes. Yeah, so just a, a couple of pieces. I mean, that I would say, firstly, disclaimer, the exact how your portfolio should be allocated is going to depend on a lot more than just even just than right. how old you are. And certainly a lot more than what were the returns last year. Um, but one thing just one thing in why I did ask, um, you know, it's I can phrase it in a humorous way, but it's kind of a serious question is when do you need the money? You know, if this is money that you are living out of right now um, and it is, you know, you are taking kind of a significant percentage of it, there's you, you need to have some of that in cash and bonds. If if this is money that, you know, you may never touch, then how you allocate it, you know. You can be one, be very aggressive, and two, it it also kind of matters less. Um, you know, kind of what that exact split is. But generally speaking, you want to look at when you're going to need the money, and how much you're going to need, and money that you're going to be needing to start drawing in maybe the next ten or so years. You're going to want the bulk of that to be in cash and bonds, um, so you know that's going to be there for. further out, um, you want that in stocks. Because we don't know where stocks are going to go this year, next year, the next five years. We, you know, given given where things are now and uh, just various ways of looking at kind of forecasting longer term uh, stock growth, you know, you you might be getting 6 or 7% out of the next 10 or 15 years and, you know, possibly higher uh, in the future. So, so that's but but again the short term uncertainty means that's not where you want money that you're going to be withdrawing soon. I tell you what I'm worried about right now, um, and this is what you see um, whenever things start to get what I call frothy, 
uh, where mm-hmm. prices are are going high, which is suddenly people who have not been investing in stocks are showing up going, well, I'm going to p- put some money in the stock market because yeah, it's I going like crazy. I got into Bitcoin at the last minute. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's a sure sign to run the other way. Um, and that's what we saw in the housing bubble from 2006 to 2008 was, you know, everybody was jumping into this. And you start to see someone making money, and you think, i got to get into it, and you're usually late to the game. So you just need to stick to your plan. Yep. All right. And when everybody else is selling, it's time to buy. When everybody else is buying, maybe it's time to sell. Oh, you've learned well. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Hey, Charles. Right, thanks, guys. Thanks for the call and the kind words about the show. Glad that uh, you have find us uh, interesting and get some useful information each Tuesday morning. This is Money Talks. Time to take another quick break. When we get back, uh, we'll continue talking about uh, the economy during the last 10 years. Also, we're looking for your personal finance questions on Money Talks as we celebrate our 10th anniversary on the air. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one 672 7464 Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotter-Janderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're celebrating 10 years on the air this morning, but also looking for your personal finance questions. That's something that we've done each Tuesday these past 10 years, trying to give you the best information to help you navigate your personal finance. So if you have a question for us this morning, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can email the show. It's money at mpbonline.org. So uh, we've got some callers on the line. Let's uh, start again. Uh, Robert's in Vicksburg. Good morning, Robert. You're on the air. I'm sorry. I need to press the button. Uh, Hold on. I'm sorry, Robert. Uh, You're on the air. My bad. Go ahead, please. Thank you for providing this program to us every week. It's invaluable for layperson investors like me. My question is about Amazon. Could you please explain the fundamentals of that support uh, managers telling us to buy this stock when the price earnings ratio is 315? You are right. I'm your answer. Well, um, you know, I love this question. <laughs> it's a great question <laughs> because um, you're talking about value versus price. And the price of Amazon is over $1,200 a share right now. And as you said, their P.E. ratio, the price 
divided by their earnings per share is over 300 times. So you're paying 300 times the earnings to get a share of this stock. Now, what that means is if they continue to earn at that same rate, it's going to take you 300 years to make back what you paid for that stock. So the assumption with... Wow, that's grim. It is very grim, isn't it? You're not going to be around. Um, So the assumption is with a P.E. ratio that high, when you want to buy a stock, you want a lower P.E., you're paying less for the earnings. But if it's that high, the assumption is that it's going to grow so much faster than everything else. But I think the problem is for a stock like Amazon, sometimes it just the hype takes over and everybody just jumps on board. And remember that the stock market is an auction. And so the more people who want to buy those shares, the higher the price goes. So if you're a value investor, which we tend to stick on that side, I have owned Amazon in the past. I don't right now, uh, at least not individually. Um, You need to be careful about that. Um, I would like to point out that the the price to free cash flow ratio is a modest seventy six. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what is that? Does that not make it affordable, Nancy? No, it does not. I would say there's some interesting things about the stock itself. I mean, one, obviously, it's taking over all retail yeah. forever and ever and ever. But um, and, it, and it has a huge, huge, huge way. And and I would like to make it clear, I don't have a real strong opinion on Amazon either way as buying a stock. I might get excited about talking about it, but don't take that to mean go buy or go sell right now. And I just want to say, you know, we're talking about Amazon taking over retail. At the They're same taking time, over everything else too. But at the same time, we're talking about Sears stores closing. And when I was growing up, uh, Kevin, you remember mm-hmm. this? Sears you was know, the Amazon. It, it was the Amazon. <clears throat> it represented a huge mm-hmm. part of our GDP. Mm-hmm. Um, so things change, and that's the caution here. So one, they're still actually as kind of big as the company has gotten. They're still actually a small part of you know overall U.S. and obviously overall global sales. But other people are competing on that uh, side. But yeah, right. And they also have other business lines. Uh, they, I think Amazon Web Services is one that gets talked about a lot. They provide very good, um, very easy to use uh, access to to uh, servers. You know, if you want to host host your website, if you want to host uh, your very complicated uh, programs. You can do that on Amazon Web. You basically rent their servers online. Uh, so they have a couple of different business areas that are that are generating cash, even if they're keeping it basically no earnings. Um, and they're so cheap because they're not they're not building in a huge profit margin. They're making sure they can run the business. They're making sure they get enough cash to reinvest in the business. But they're not they're not taking huge profits out for themselves. Well, the two parts of investing are first, um, find a good company. And Amazon is a good company. And the second part is don't pay too much for it. And that's my concern on the second part is that if you pay too much, even for a good company, you're going to lose money. And sometimes a terrible company you can make money on because the price is so low. Right. Um, that is a g- great point. That, I mean – Jeff uh, Bezos is obviously a very passionate CEO, very passionate CEO founder, um, and has just, you know, kind of, you know, weird to some people's eyes, but has very successfully managed this company very well. And that is, that is very admirable. 
So you talked about that that P/E ratio, price to earnings. How how did it get so out of whack? Is it the hype of because Amazon is so popular? Yeah, yep. I mean because Basically. I, I mean everybody is familiar with it. Um, there's great talk about it, um, and so everybody is buying shares. And like I say, the the stock market is an auction, and so the more people want to be um, owners of Amazon, the higher the price gets pushed up. We've got another caller on the line. Let's say good morning to Bob in Greenwood. Go ahead, Bob. You're on the air. Hi. I'm uh, wondering if you uh, know of any mutual funds or index funds tied to Bitcoins and cryptocurrencies that uh, someone might be invested. Uh, Yes. So they are, for the most part, they're working on those. Now that the futures have come out, uh, you can have futures contracts on Bitcoin. It's gotten a little easy for a little easier for a regulated fund to hold Bitcoin. Um, there are most of the funds that are holding Bitcoin that you can buy today are going to be private, so you can't actually buy them today. There is one that is traded over the counter, but it is a closed-ended fund, so you end up paying. Oh, I don't know what it is, but at one point recently, you would end up paying $2 for every dollar of Bitcoin you got. Um, recently, I saw there's something like 20 funds have applied uh, to the SEC to be regulated funds tracking the price of Bitcoin, uh, some even with leverage. Some you can buy, and it'll bet that Bitcoin falls. So you could take either side of this bet, and you could do it as aggressively as you like with these funds. Um, they are... On the way, I don't none are none are trading right now that I know of, uh, but there's a there's a lot of there's a lot coming up in that in that area. And um, since this is such a popular topic, I'm sure we will mention when the first one uh, that I trust comes out. <laughs> All right, uh, Bob. Thanks. Thanks mm-hmm. for your call. Good to hear from you this morning. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a personal finance question, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So there was a recent uh, tax uh, package passed by Congress. When will we see any sort of change in our monthly paychecks? Next month. Yeah, they're, they we, are, we were just looking at we that looking in the at, office yes. yesterday. Um, the IRS, they haven't updated their press release, but the latest one was at the end of, gosh, the end of 2017, a whole year ago. Um, at the end of last year, they said they hope to have the new withholding tables published in February. So it'll be your February paychecks when, and I mean, how that works is the IRS publishes the withholding tables. Whoever is doing your payroll looks at, this is what Kevin's getting paid. It's on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, and this is how much we withhold. So it'll also, you know, if they don't do it immediately. I don't understand why it takes them so long. I mean, come on. There's only two guys that work at the IRS, and they're probably they're probably napping. Um, uh, so, yeah, whenever your payroll folks get the new withholding tables, they'll probably start – Figuring that into the payroll uh, but pretty quickly. But if, if you're um, eligible for some of the credits, like the the increase in the child tax credit, you won't see that until you file your right. taxes in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, just before we take our last break, uh, just a quick story here. I was trying to think back at some of the funny moments on Money Talks these last 10 years, and I think the, the funniest call I can recall receiving, and in fact, I almost couldn't almost lost on the air was uh, I think it must have been around the holidays but the lady called in and talked about regifting 
cheese. Oh, that was a great one. Yes. Hey, hey, I've almost done that. Old cheese. Yes. Oh, Old whoa, cheese. whoa, whoa. And then I, I love the one where, um, you know, somebody called and talked about the way they handled their credit problems was they um, – they froze the cards in a block of ice. I've done that for a friend before. Yes. I have. And then um, the dad who called, and I think he had maybe four children, youngest one was a daughter, and and having to ha- – because we talked about necessities versus luxuries when you send your kid off to, to college with a credit card, and she, he had to have the conversation of lipstick is not a necessity. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I have to say the callers – that's the first thing I noticed. They really, really make the show in, in, a, in a great way. I, and I'll echo that. And again, thanks to everyone who participates each week. You know, we couldn't do the show without you. The input from you, uh, that's what we're here to serve and, and meet your needs. So we appreciate everyone who supports Money Talks with your calls each week. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap up this program, Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lockridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We've been looking for your personal finance questions this morning. We've got some time left. If you want to go ahead and uh, get one in before the end of the hour, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. We've also been celebrating being on the air for 10 years. It was January 7th, 2008, when the original episode of Money Talks aired. So we've been sort of looking back and sharing some memories of that time. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the economy in 2008. Were, are there any trends or anything in that time, this last 10 years, that, uh, that you think is worth uh, mentioning? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I didn't want to relive this, Kevin. We have iPhones now. It was terrible. It was terrible. Um, You know, the fall of 2008 in October. We're talking about January, the good times. All right. But, I I mean, it's just blocked (laughs) out because 
everything started to crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Federal Reserve was stepping in, trying to do as much as they could. Um, I kept saying, I'm going to throw all of my textbooks out on the lawn because nothing is working. Nothing applies at this point. It was free fall. And um, it continued uh, into 2009. Uh, first, I think about the first week of 2009 was the bottom of the market. And something that we call capitulation happened, which means everybody's just kind of throwing in the towel. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was the day we had the capitulation because that was the day I had a couple of my uh, investors, uh, men, who had just been, no, we're staying, we're staying, we're staying. And they called that day and just in panic saying, get me out, get me out, get me out. I'm like, are you sure? And then the next day, the thing started taking off. Um, and I can say now, you know, we were sitting around 6,800 at that point. What are we now? Um, w- well, so at the beginning of of 2008, January 2008, we were at about uh, 12,000 in the in the Dow, uh, 12,853, uh, January 10th, 2008. And today it is almost exactly double that. It's uh, crossed over 25,000 recently, so 25,300 uh, something. So even but, from going from, okay, so, so January 2008, the and then you dropped in mm, basically half and yeah. then doubled again uh, from where it was in 2008. I mean, it's it's been a ride, but... Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy ride. And it was one of those uh, once in a, in a lifetime events. I hope I never have one of those again. Mm-hmm. I was uh, curled up under my desk in a fetal position. <laughs> um, it was not only my portfolio I was worrying about, but I had clients and they were dependent on this. And, you know, we had done everything we thought was reasonable, chosen a, a good asset allocation, um, but... You know, it was one of those situations where it w- there was no place to hide. Um, this event started in the U.S. bond market and spread to the stock market and spread around the globe. So mm-hmm. unless you just had cash buried in the in the yard, you were going to be feeling the effects of that. And even then, those people who didn't have anything in the markets, um, we had such a severe recession at that point. And loss of jobs. And so um, mm-hmm. we can sit here now and go, wow, look at this. And we're at, you know, 4% unemployment. And, and um, uh, look how high the stock market mm-hmm. is. But also understand there are parts of this country that have never recuperated. Because this also happened, as Ryder mentioned, in the middle of this transition from manufacturing to service economy. And so those jobs have not come back. Uh, a lot of people have not really recovered. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason, because um, it was so deep, it was the reason it took a long time for people to even start to feel better. Yeah, and, ju- and just some of those kind of uh, economic statistics that these are the things that people feel uh, when they, you know, either are going to work and are happy about their job or not. Um, so 2008, beginning of January 2008 was about when employment started falling uh, in the recession. So that was uh, just about the peak of employment, probably uh, around 138 million people employed in the U.S. And then at the depths, it was down to 130 million. Now we're well over 145 million. Um, The employment... but we have more Unem- people. Right, right. We have more people. But unemployment rate is uh, below where it was in January 2008. Uh, but it- the problem with that is that when we talk about these statistics, we're talking Ooh. about national averages. Right, right. And again, it, this isn't 
it may not be as local as real estate, but but this is, you know, there are yeah. places where employment is better or worse than others still. And again, um, still Rust Belt states, I believe, are still kind of a little bit behind. Um, whereas, well, even Mississippi is we've a uh, better situation than we have been in a long time, which is good. Uh, we had a kind of hard time for the past few years. But um, but there's, you know, some say, you know, New York and California where they have huge, huge, huge resilient industries, uh, you know, technology in California, um, finance in New York, that people are still employed. Uh, let's get one final call in this hour. It goes to Ellen, who's called in from Tupelo today. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning. Go ahead. Um, I'm a retired FedEx employee. Uh, had wonderful benefits throughout the years and everything, and I contributed to the stock plan and all that. And the stock, I sold some back in uh, probably October, November, and it had increased in uh, value from like 224 or 200 and something to 224. And now it's up to 268. Mm-hmm. Should I sell some more stock? Um, I, I think maybe you go uh, when, back to When your, do you need the money? <laughs> well, but well, also, I don't need it, but I don't want to leave it on the table. Exactly. And you, you need to understand that now that you are retired, you are no longer an insider. You are no longer seeing what's happening with that company every day. You don't have your finger on the pulse. Exactly. Um, right. FedEx is a good company, um, and transportation stocks tend to be um, leading stocks, you know, because that's where we see the growth first. Um, but when things start to slow down, you'll see them be hit first as well. Um, the market overall has gained in value. That's helped this stock. But they're also in some fierce competitive um, situations. And so I think maybe what you might want to do is just have a gradual plan. You don't need to just dump everything, but just a gradual plan of pairing back as the stock rises. Are there uh, some tax implications that I should um, check on? Where is this stock? Is it in a retirement well, account? I, I have some that's in a self-directed uh, just stock account, and then I have some in my um, retirement IRA Fund. So you can sell it in the retirement fund, and you don't have to worry about um, capital gains. But if you sell okay. it in the other account, you have to go back and look at, well, how much did I pay for that, and what's the gain, and you're going to pay tax at the capital gains rate. But I won't pay tax on the one that's in the IRA. Correct. Correct. You don't pay tax on that money until you actually take it out of the account. So you can. Oh. So when you sell it, make sure you know you reinvest it in whatever's you know. Whatever is appropriate for you. If, you. if that's still part of your equity allocation, put in some stocks. Okay. Well, all right, Thanks Ellen. So much. Thanks. Good call to end the show. Uh, Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash money talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener was Java Chapman. So for Nancy Lotter-Janerson, Ryder Taff, and Ezra Wall, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next, it's In Legal Terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for the next Money Talks, only on MPB Think Radio. Looking forward to the next 10 years.